This is The Business Machine. We talk with small business owners and entrepreneurs to get their advice on how they run their machines. These inspirational leaders share with us some of the tools they use to run their machines and talk about some of the mistakes they made along the way and what they learned. As business owners, we're all trying to fuel our machines, create a great team and put tools in place so that eventually our machines will run themselves. So get ready. Up next, the business machine is firing up. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Business Machine. Again, this is Brian with The Business Machine and also with Michigan Creative. How y'all doing? I'm excited to be back on the air. And we have an exciting guest, and Richard Chapo is here. And he's a business lawyer in San Diego and has been practicing for about 25 years. And he advises small and large online businesses on how to best comply with laws such as copyright, FTC regulations, and more. He's a big hockey fan, which is great here in Michigan, and an avid traveler. I didn't think they had uh, hockey in California. We'll talk about that. He's an avid traveler, having lived in such exotic locations as Siberia. Richard can be reached through his website at SoCallInternetLawyer or SouthernCalInternetLawyer.com, and we'll have all that in the show notes. Richard, how's it going? It's going well. Well, sort of well. Yeah. Kings got eliminated last night. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You don't hear very very many uh, hockey fans out there. Hockey's big around here. You know, we're right in the center of the state, so hockey's a big sport. We're close to Canada too, eh? So. Yeah. No. No. So Michigan get to the semifinals of. Uh, yeah. What was it? The Frozen Four and what have you? But uh, yeah. yeah. No. There's a small but enthusiastic crowd in Southern California. So tell me a little bit, man. Somebody comes up to you, and, and you're, uh, and we talked earlier that you're surrounded by woods, but you meet somebody finally out there, or, or somebody in a coffee shop, or sitting next to you in the rink, and they ask you, "What do you do? What do you say?" Uh, I say I'm a business lawyer, and I help businesses grow by um, helping them minimize the risk of doing business online, and let them focus on, uh, you know, the aspects of their business that they really started it for, i.e., growth. Uh, you know, and providing a solution for some particular problem. Uh, and that's the general idea of what I do. So why do you think, tell, talk to me a little bit about what somebody who's doing business online, because that's relatively new. I mean, the internet's been around for a long time now. When we say long time, we're saying maybe 20 years. But what is a, somebody online, and I know there's a lot of differences, but what are some things people online, if they run a business solely online, have to worry about that maybe others don't, or are they the same? Uh, it's a combination of both. You know, certainly when you're forming a business online, uh, you know, the issues that you face are, are very similar to any offline business, particularly if you have partners. You know, do you form a business entity? If so, which entity? Um, you, you know, if you're going to have two or more people that are founders, um, you know, you need agreements in place. So you avoid what we call a zombie partner, um, somebody who... Who's you know everybody's fired up when the business starts and you get a year down the line and it's not doing as well as you thought it would and one partner stops showing up and you know, how do you <laughs> yeah. deal with those situations? Well, that's the you know that's common across all businesses. Uh, and then once you once you roll <clears throat> excuse me roll over onto the the internet aspect of it, you know copyright obviously is kind of a big issue. Yeah. Um, you know it's so easy to right click save and repost something online that a lot of people don't really think about you know the privacy or the privacy the copyright issues um, and then there's new regulations coming out all the time um, you know unfortunately you know you were saying the internet's only 20 years old and the law is very slow uh, when it comes to catching up with uh, the evolution of issues so you have you know basic questions like you know uber are drivers independent contractors or are they employees yeah 
uh, and it's something that you know is still being fought over. But the answer to that really goes a long way to determining whether you know that business model is functional in the future. Uh, you know, we're 20 years in and still trying to decide that. Um, and you're also seeing governments come in and really you know pass a lot of new regulations that are um, you know not business friendly and not particularly small business friendly. Um, so there's a lot of focus on those issues and particularly like privacy, for instance, right now in the European Union. Yeah, passing, that's, I was well, going to ask you about that. Right. The General Data Protection Regulation, it's a new regulation that addresses privacy and data protection. And it is a completely different take on privacy. Um, you know, a common business model in the United States is to uh, gain as much personal information and obtain as much personal information as you can. Uh, filter it or do whatever it is you want to do with it and then monetize it and sell it off. And, you know, we have companies like Facebook and Google that built their entire business on this. And in the EU, um, they're switching that around. They're saying you can't do that. You can't collect information from people unless you have a legal basis for doing so. And there are six different legal bases. And, you know, the one that's probably going to apply in most situations is get actual consent from people. Right. So, so starting in May, when you go to a site in the UK, there's typically going to be a pop-up, and there'll be a big pop-up you know, that covers most of the page, and it's describing how they want to collect information from you, and you'll have to check boxes as to ones you want, and all that has to be tracked, and it's, you know, it makes DMV regulations look like a you know happy party day. <laughs> right. um, so it's, you know, it's incredibly complex, and so for U.S. businesses that are doing business in the EU. You know, the question is, do you have to comply? You know, are you doing enough business? Um, you'll see things online. People say, if you capture one email address from the EU, you must comply. And those people are idiots. And, you know, they're not, they haven't read the law. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, there's a sliding scale based on the number of cases that you have to look at and all these different things. But if you do have to comply, and in a lot of cases you do, uh, you know, it's just a whole different world. You have, there's record keeping and all kinds of nasty, weird things um, that are going on. But it, it just presents a whole new paradigm that an offline business would never you know, have to deal with. Um, and unfortunately, that's kind of a trend we're seeing online. You're seeing governments and European unions, uh, economic unions come in and try to mark their territory, if you will, um, online. So what do you think? You know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really affect us and maybe most not most, but a lot of businesses in the U.S. because we're not dealing with those websites or that country or that area. You know, is that do we see something like that coming here to the states? Is there is there talk? Is there anything we need to be thinking about unless we're doing business over there or not yet? Um, well, you know, two things from the states' perspective. I, I don't see it any time in the near future. There are people who are saying it will, and those people are just you know living in la la land. Um, politically, it's just very difficult for something like that to happen. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, the, our whole mentality on privacy, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic that we, you know, we're the country of freedom, but, um, you know, privacy law in the U.S. is laughably weak. Um, and I, I yeah. don't see how they would ever get to a point where uh, politically, you know, they would be able to pass anything. The other thing is in the EU, privacy is a human right. It's part of their fundamental um, formation documents. In the U.S., that's not the case. Right. There's no mention of privacy in the U.S. Constitution. You do have it come up in um, court-mandated decisions, Supreme Court decisions, particularly in abortion. Uh, that's really a privacy decision, and they suggest that there's a right of privacy um, implied in the U.S. Constitution. 
and you know how hotly debated that whole issue is. Yeah, right. So the idea that they would come up with a federal law that could get through Congress. Yeah, and we can't get pass anything, right? I know. Right, you know, it seems kind of dubious. Um, you know, now the other question with the EU regulation is it has a, a territorial scope that's a little, a little scary. Um, so what it basically says. So people say, well, you know, if you get one, e- if you collect one email address from a person in the EU, you have to call, you know, you have to uh, comply with the GDPR. That's not what it says. What it says is if you're offering goods or services uh, to parties um, that are in the European Union, not you, not EU citizens, just parties that are there, uh, then you must comply. And it doesn't matter if those services are offered for free. Hmm. So the question becomes, yeah. well, if you have an email newsletter list, you know, and you drip market on that, well, part of that drip marketing is going to be offering goods and services and you have people on your list, you know, at what point um, do you cross that line? And so the solution for many people now, you know, that they're confronting as well, you know, do I identify the people on my list that have IPs in the EU and do I just terminate them? Or do you ask, um, do ask I seek- for permission? Yeah. Yeah. Repermission, but repermission is a dangerous thing. A lot of people, uh, again, are not reading the correct laws in the EU. They read the GDPR. GDPR doesn't talk about repermission. They say, I can do repermission. However, each country in the EU has their own email law, like we have can spam here in the US. And uh, if you do seek repermission, you are often violating those laws. And Honda, um, Honda did a repermission email for the GDPR, and they were fined by the enforcement. Um, Agency, the ICO in the UK, an airline called Flybe, uh, tried to do the same thing. They were fined uh, eighty thousand pounds, whatever that is in US dollars. Um, so there, <laughs> there's a lot of questions about. <laughs> yeah, there is. You know, how exactly do you do this? Do you geoblock? You know, for smaller businesses, if you, you know, if two percent of your income comes from the EU, well, yeah. you know, do you geoblock that traffic? Uh, and unfortunately, you know, if you do geoblock it, you know, that sets kind of a larger trend. The GDPR is so pervasive, it's, it's hard to discuss because it's, it's such a ramshackle, idiotic regulation. It's written not from a legal perspective, which most people think would be a good thing. It's just written by people who are just randomly trying to cover topics. Um, and so there's no def- – like key phrases aren't defined, so you don't really know what they mean. Oh, so to give you – yeah, to give you an idea how crazy it is, um, you know, I can uh, with the Who Is domain directory. Yeah. The, the European Union is telling I can that they can't publish that anymore because it violates GDPR. Whether I do a private domain or not. Right. Hmm. And so that has big consequences because in the U.S., if somebody goes out and they copy your blog posts or they copy your videos or your courses or whatever it is you're selling – as an attorney, one of the first places I'm going to start hunting is through the Who Is directory. Sure. You know, and I'm going to f- figure out who the host is, and I'm going to you know either get that information from the host or subpoena the host or whatever it is. And if that information is all, you know, hidden now, and I can't get to it, um, you know, the GDPR creates a huge, huge, um, you know, market for scams. Um, so, so it's, it, you know, so there's a lot of end results that aren't really intended. Uh, and the, another example, I'll give you just kind of how crazy it is. Um, there's a woman, I just forgot her name. She's in the U S right now. She was the head of the committee that drafted the GDPR. And as you can imagine, she's been getting asked some very pointed questions about 
what do we do in this situation and that situation? She doesn't have answers. That's what I was going to say. Well, let, me, let me guess on this one. She doesn't know. Right. She's in charge of the party that drafted it, and she doesn't have answers. And the fines for violations you know, are up to $24 million oh, or 4% man. of your gross. Yeah. yeah, your gross re- worldwide revenues. Now, obviously, those fines are designed for the Googles of the world. Um, but, you know, the enforcement agencies, uh, either 28 member states, the UK will leave um, the EU, maybe, <laughs> hopefully, who knows. Uh, but if they do leave it, they intend to uh, comply with the GDPR and adopt it regardless. So oh, really? So they're not going to? Oh, okay. So I imagine yeah, somebody like, like Google, Facebook, um and Amazon, this might affect them a lot. Yes. yes. Heavily. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the vision is a big enough word. Definitely. Yeah, right. No, and they're they're having problems. Everybody's having problems. Um, again, because a lot of the, the, the language is vague. Um, so, for instance, if you get, you know, let's talk about the email list because email lists are, are a pretty common marketing approach. You know, you try and build up your email list over time. And eventually you get maybe you know, 50,000, 100,000 people on it, and then you come out with a new product or service, and you can drip market on those people, and it's kind of you know, guaranteed revenue. Um, so the GDPR says, well, to develop this email list, you have to have informed consent. But then they include something else in it that a lot of people are missing, which is the idea that consent decays over time. So you have to get it every so often. Yes, so you either have to delete them or you have to go with a repermission. Now, repermissions on that situation, if you gain consent correctly the first time, you know, you're not going to violate any laws in the EU, so you can do it there. Um, but people that are doing repermission now for emails picked up in 2010 probably weren't compliant with a regulation like the PECR, which is in the UK. Um, you know, and so it gets into this just cluster, you know what, and <laughs> you <can say> it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so, uh, so yeah, just to give you an idea of the yeah. vagueness of the regulations. So they say informed consent decays over time. So myself and about 4 million other lawyers sent in questions. How long? Yeah. What's, de- what's decay? What's the rate? And the response that the drafting party put out was at appropriate times. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> like tomorrow? Yeah, 20, so, 20 right, years from know, now. 50 years? What, you know, I mean, and so the problem is, you know, as a business, and, you know, lawyers have a bad reputation, and I understand why, but in advising clients, you want at least some kind of a format to give them some you know, def- definite guidelines. But you can. And the GDPR, yeah, the GDPR does not contain that in a lot of areas, and so... Um, you know, it's going to be just a disaster once it goes into effect. So you tell um, them to follow the rules, (laughs) tell them to follow the rules the best they can and pray and hope it works. Cross your fingers. Buy insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Buy insurance. You know, the insurance industry hasn't really woken up to the GDPR yet. They know it exists. I don't think they really have a full understanding of what a mess it is. Um, so yeah, buy insurance and, you know, keep those premiums paid up. (laughs) So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mess. Hi, everybody. Brian here real quick. This episode of The Business Machine is sponsored by the one and only Michigan Creative. That's right. Michigan Creative sponsors this Business Machine podcast for now. So if you have other sponsors that would be willing to sponsor our little Business Machine podcast, it's a great resource for business owners across the globe. And this one is sponsored by us here at Michigan Creative. Michigan Creative is a full service marketing and design firm in Lansing, Michigan. We provide mobile friendly websites, 
digital marketing, video production, branding, graphic design, and much, much more. So we'd love to work with you uh, wherever you are. And we really just want to talk to you. So if you want to just talk to us here at Michigan Creative, you can call me. My cell phone is 517-899-4533 or just visit michigancreative.com. All right, back to the show. So something that might be a little more happy um, and, and definitely relevant since we just had taxes. Um, let's talk a little bit about the tax act of 2017 because it could save us some money if you're formed in a certain way but probably not at this point but what is that and talk to me about those changes and and how that could benefit a small business sure well i mean obviously if um you know one of the key aspects of the tax act was uh they cut taxes in certain areas for businesses uh one is with the uh, pass-through entities so an llc if you designate it as a partnership uh, I believe even a sole proprietorship, even though it's not a pass-through entity, um, but as partner or uh, as corporations, you're basically going to get a 20% gross revenue uh, income tax deduction starting right. with your 2018 taxes. That makes a huge difference in planning um, because obviously that's a rather large chunk of change. Sure. Um, and it's you know so a lot of people look at businesses and business entities and they think, well, what's the cost? You know, what's cost of compliance and then, you know, how does this really help me from a tax perspective? Well, the answer on taxes now is it definitely helps you. <laughs> now, is that uh, just for, an S, for S and S and LLC, not a C-Corp? Not a C-Corp. Not a C-Corp. It has to be a pass-through entity is mm-hmm. my understanding. Um, but you're not going to form a C-Corp unless you're going for venture capital. Um, you know, there's really no reason to have a, a C. Right. Um, you know, unless that's a situation, the reason you would do it with venture capital is that's what they're going to want. Um, you know, you kind of have to count out to their needs. Um, but for most people an LLC or, you know, this is going to be the answer. Um, and that takes care of really the cost, you know, the, the money going out, uh, to pay for those entities. So the question of whether, you know, when should you form one, um, the legal answer has always been as soon as possible, but now, you know, from a financial perspective, you know, there really isn't any reason to wait. So, uh, you definitely want to talk to your CPA about that and make sure that you know you have all your all your uh, ducks in order so that you can claim that deduction because twenty percent deduction is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, so it says too that you have to make it within the first ninety days if you're not already an S or an LLC. So definitely talk to your business attorney or you're an accountant on that one, right? Right. No, definitely. Yeah, it's just you know from a legal perspective, um, you know I try to stay out of the accounting field because it's one of those things where a little bit of information can get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that trouble a little bit. What are some things that you see? And and I uh, talk to business owners all the time and kind of you know, we were talking earlier about why we started this podcast because we want to hear about some mistakes that people made along the way. What are some things that maybe you made early on in your career you hear or see a lot of your clients making um, early on when they're starting a business? Right. Well, as a law, you know, as a lawyer, from my perspective, um, you know, we have a kind of a different um, business profile than a lot of companies uh, normally would. But I would still think the mistake that I made would apply to most businesses and that it was waiting. Um, you know, as attorneys, we tend to be, the attorney looked at as aggressive. We also tend to be pretty conservative when it yeah. comes to risk. And um, so from my perspective, you know, going out, when I originally started practicing, I was doing litigation and um, high profile cases uh, that were very complex, something called bad faith insurance litigation, uh, wrongful death cases, things wow. of the sort. And um, yeah, defending hospitals and what have you and um, pretty much burned out pretty quickly on that. Sure. I really didn't enjoy it. 
um, you know, it was high intensity and it was, you get quite a blast when you won, but it was, you know, very, very tense. Um, and so for me, I waited, you know, I just kept waiting cause I couldn't figure out what else I would do and what have you. Um, and you know, I waited a decade wow. and, you know, nearly, nearly, yeah, that was probably five years too long. <laughs> yeah. Cause you, yeah, I know it's tough though. I mean, that's tough. And what were you waiting for to, to change and do what you're doing now? Is that, is that kind of what that is like? I got to do something different. And it was just, what, were you too comfortable or did you wouldn't make yeah, it outside it was, of there or what? I, th- I think it was life balance and then trying to understand, you know, what, what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, Attorneys have substance abuse problems, and one of the reasons for that is it's hard to divorce yourself from the client. Oh my god! Uh, it's hard to look at them, hard to look at them as a client versus, you know, that it's a complaint against you personally. Um, and so, a lot of attorneys, a lot of the best attorneys, you know, they take that personally. You know, somebody sues the client, you know, they become emotionally invested in it, even though you're really not supposed to. Um, you know, and it's just, you know, it is what it is that I worked under a litigator when I first started, who was brilliant, um, you know, lost a case maybe two or three times in 40 years and he was the go-to guy and he would get so invested. I mean, he'd be in oh. tears, you know, <laughs> because how would you make he, he it? Was so man. Invested in That's it. so tough. Yeah. Well, for him, you know, I mean, he, he had his mechanisms and I just, I just couldn't develop them. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it became a question of, you know, what else could I do? How could I take the parts that I like and avoid the parts I don't like? And that took a long time. And, you know, even though I identified kind of, you know, potential areas to go with, um, for me, it was, you know, making that leap was difficult and it was looking back on, it, it was kind of stupid because I knew that there were clients that would go with me and yeah. you know, I'd be fine, but still taking that step, I think is difficult. So for other businesses, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the biggest mistakes I see are one, they wait too long, but two, a lot of talk, very little action. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody likes to talk about this, that, and when we're successful and, blah, blah, blah. you know, and I've had people come to me and they, they want to form a business, but they also want to form a nonprofit so they can, you know, take profits and put it into that for a good cause, which is great. There's no problem with that at all, but maybe we should form the first business and see if it actually worked <laughs> yeah. before we get to that point. Yeah. We made uh, those mistakes early on too, as we, we didn't focus on what we had at the point. So yeah, I hear that. Yeah. And particularly if it's an online business focus is, is brutally difficult because there's so much information and there's so many helpful tools and everything else that, um, you know, you can get to the end of your first year and you've made no progress, but you've got, you know, 50 different tools and systems and things and, uh, you know, what have you. Um, so I think that that's, you know, the biggest issue. The other thing I think, um, a lot of businesses would really benefit from, um, and this will sound self-serving, but is, um, when you're starting your business, take it to an errand lawyer in your area. You can just look them up on Google and then run them through Yelp to see if it looks like they know what they're doing. Sit down with them for an hour, yeah. show them what you're doing. Um, and you know, a lot of them will do it for free. Um, but you would just want to know if there, <laughs> there are any landmines before you get rolling, <laughs> uh, because the internet is unique in that it is a digital representation of a business environment for which laws are written for physical environment. And so sometimes you may be violating laws you would never even think about, uh, you know, that apply to the online environment. For instance, like the telephone, uh, you know, if you're making calls on a telephone uh, of a marketing nature, there are significant regulations at both the federal and state level. Um, but it's some of those regulations define telephone communications so broadly that they include internet communications. And oh, so okay. uh, 
there've been yeah there've been some people that run into issues with that. Um, yeah, mm. there's just all kinds of different things. So, so if you go in and you show the, go, go ahead. I was just gonna say if you sit down with an attorney, you can show them the business model and they can go, okay, well, you know, here are big issues you need to consider. Here are minor issues you consider, or maybe they just say, no, nah, you're fine, don't worry about it. So you, an outsider looking in, but you've seen a lot of different business models, um, both physical and then online. It, you know, it's interesting for me to really talk to entrepreneurs who are online and doing this as a business because they kind of have an idea of what it's going to look like in five or 10 years, the way technology moves so quickly these days, it's hard to tell. What do you think? I mean, what are we going to be doing? How are we going to be doing business online? And probably not five, but in 10 years, are things going to change? You know, what doesn't change? And, and, and what do you see from what your clients are talking about right now? And how are they going to change? Because we don't know what the internet's going to look like in 10 years. Um, I have a pretty good idea what it's going to look like. I just don't think anybody's going to like what it's going to look like. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, we're going to have this concept. There's a concept floating around that was passed, you know, five or ten years ago called the Splinter Net. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's coming to fruition. And the idea of the Splinter Net is that uh, the Internet is going to be divided up from a business perspective, certainly, into essentially geographic regions. Uh, and you are seeing this now. And the GDPR that we've talked about is an example of that. The GDPR is touted um, by the EU as a privacy and data protection law. However, to their credit, they also admit it as an attack on U.S. business models. Sure. Um, the you know the EU was created for a couple different reasons. One to try to avoid World War III, because as you know, they tend to have have a few conflicts over there. Um, but but one of the stated reasons is to you know help battle against other um, strong economic groups such as the United States and China. And so, you know, part of this is that attack. And I think what we're going to see over five or ten years is, um, you know, more of this and more splintering. Um, Russia has talked about setting up, you know, an internal uh, Internet that would exclude the U.S. Um, China's off doing its own thing. It's basically already internalized. Yeah, they've done that Uh, for a while now. Right. South America. um, You know, there's all kinds of discussion there. And, you know, freedom of speech and all those issues are fascinating. But from a business perspective, I think what people need to really think about over the next five to ten years is what's my target market? And you need to come to grips with the idea that the worldwide Internet really isn't going to be worldwide from a business perspective. And you may need to geoblock certain regions um, where the cost of compliance is so high uh, that it doesn't make sense financially to do it. Or you are a target um, because of um, you know, the fact you are a U.S. company or something of that sort. Um, so you see Google, for instance. Google started Alphabet, and everybody raised their hands and cheered, and nobody really knew why they were doing that. One of the reasons they were doing that is the Splinter Net. You know, they're looking ahead, and they're seeing, okay, um, you know, we need to start thinking about how are we going to address these issues. And so Google started Google Spain because Spain is traditionally flogged to Google like nobody's brother, um, you know, with violations of this, that, and the other. And so Google, you know, formed Google Spain under Alphabet, and they went trolling down that line trying to try that that strategy, which is it's kind of up in the air as to whether it will work. But their argument is we're just setting up this whole separate entity, you know, that will comply with Spanish regulations and what have you. Seems like a little so smoke gonna, and mirrors to me, but. Oh, it is. It is. You know, but you're going to see this. And the, kind of the beauty of to, to show just kind of how bizarre and crazy it is. Uh, you know, in the EU, you have different attitudes in the EU. So Ireland, um, you know, when the EU started issuing regulations related to the Internet, 
a lot of people in Germany and France, you know, smiled because they thought, all right, you know, we'll finally have Google and Facebook, um, you know, at our behest. And Ireland, to their credit, looked at it a little differently and thought, hey, I know how we can generate a lot of business. Sure. <laughs> and so, so Ireland started saying to companies, hey, come over here. We'll give you, you know, a lower tax basis. Um, you know, we have a Irish tax or an Irish enforcement agency that will be the primary agency uh, in charge of enforcing regulations against you. And oh, by the way, it's Ian and his two buddies over here in a bar. Um, you know, so you don't really have to worry very much. Right, yeah. Right. And you know, and you end up with a bizarre situation involving Apple, where Apple, you know, said, "Hell yeah, I'm going." Yeah. Here, here we come. I got the Apple saying that the taxes and what have you that they're paying in Ireland are not in compliance with EU law. And Ireland has sued the EU on behalf of Apple. Brilliant. Saying, oh, yes, they are. And (laughs) (laughs) so it's this kind of scenario that's going to break out. Yeah. Um, The one area I think for most online businesses that I would be very cautious about is email. Um, Email marketing. I just I just think it's, you know, you'll be able to email market in the United States to people on your list who are in the U.S. for a very long time. Anybody outside of the U.S., you know, I, you're living on borrowed time at best. Really? Um, yeah, I just don't think that it's going to last very long. Now, the benefit to that, of course, is we live in the biggest consumer market in the world. So um, if you are U.S.-based and you are targeting the U.S. market, you know, then, then it's, you know, you may lose 10 or 20% of your list. And, then, you know, that's life. Um, but. Yeah, I think, you know, you can still do email marketing under the GDPR. You can still do, you know, email marketing under the Canada spam law. It's just very difficult and very complex. Um, Under the GDPR, for instance, you have to keep records. And you have to make those records available to any auditing agency upon request. And the records include things like a copy of the document that you provided and when the person consented, wow. um, you have to track them. So you have to do you have to do what's called granular consent. So you can't just put up a consent form that says, "Hey, we're going to send you marketing materials." You have to put up a form that says, "Hey, we're going to track you for this reason, and this is how we're going to use your information, and we're going to hold your information for this long, and blah 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 blah." And do you agree to all of these things? And they have to affirmatively check the box to agree. So kind of like some sites when you check out, you have to check a box saying, "I agree to the terms and conditions." Yep, it's going to be like that. But it's going to be a big form on their site. Yeah, people don't it's like the to equi- check those. Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I uncheck you know, them. Like when they ask, you know, when you check out, they say, "Hey, would you like to subscribe to our newsletter?" And I say, "No, no, I would not." And uh, so now it's the opposite. Well, really, right. I mean, they have to check to even. And get you're going to, and you're going to have to keep a record of all that. Yeah. So you're going to have. So let's say you run ten or twenty different programs or, or campaigns over a year. You have to keep a record of each one of those. You have to keep a record of who consented with each program, what they've done subsequently. Have they withdrawn consent? How long have you had consent? Has it decayed? Um, you know, are you transferring that data across borders? You know, it's just endless. And it, it, it becomes to a point where, you know, they can't make email marketing legal, um, but they can sure as heck, you know, make it so difficult um, that for a lot of people, I think it's particularly smaller businesses. It's just not not going to be, you know, we're dealing with. Um, and to their credit, you're seeing a lot of content management systems. Uh, you know, I, I know ConvertKit and I think another one, Alliance, are starting to take that into account and they're allowing you to go into your email list and sort by location, you know, where the location of the IP address is and things of that sort. Not a perfect solution, but a very good one. Um, 
you know, and you can, uh, you know, start addressing your email list that way. But I think if you're smart, um, you want to be looking at other platforms, um, you know, t- for long-term marketing for your target audience. Sounds complicated. It sounds like, yes, we definitely need, need to get somebody to explain what's going on if we're doing anything overseas. You know, something that was interesting, we talked about off air a little bit too, that, you know, not only have you made this, this switch into something now that you've been doing that you actually enjoy and you're happy with, but one of the things that, you know, as our careers move forward, I think you and I both, and maybe you not so much anymore because you're kind of, you know, doing a really good job and you're successful. And, but I think as business owners, we question sometimes if we're doing and, and what the hell we're doing. And I think everybody does that too. So, you know, what are the things that you do as a business owner to make sure that, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's in a way to make sure that you're you know, because we always question ourselves whether we should be doing what we're doing. Does that happen to you anymore? Are you pretty satisfied now? No, it still happens. I think <laughs> that, um, well, I think it's, you know, a lot of it depends on the timing. Um, so in dealing with the GDPR and trying to get all my clients, current and past, you know, into compliance. Sure. You know, it certainly makes you question it. You know, for me, the Internet, when I got into the Internet, um, you know, it was 2000. I'd been living in Russia, came back, and I had a friend that was a CEO of the company. And the thing that interested me was, um, you know, it was, it was a wide open area from a legal perspective. And, you know, it was, it was fascinating to see companies launch and um, grow and really just kind of go nuts. And the thing that's a bit depressing with Splinternet and particularly the GDPR at the moment is you're seeing a lot of that ability to innovate crushed by peons who've never run a business before in their life, never <laughs> tell, will. Tell me how you really feel. You know, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I. Well, know, that seems to be pretty, kind of, pretty common though. I mean, we see regulations like that all the time that are coming from here and, and they're supposed to help small business, but you know, we only have 12 employees, so we're, does it really help us? I mean, the, the right. help, I mean, the help, the small business, which I'm, I'm talking small, like two, three, four, five employees. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're taxed at the same level as just about anybody else unless they're over X amount of employees and they, they get a break. So I think there's, it's pretty common, not just well, I think it law. is, but, but I think in the online world, you know, there was a lot of freedom. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, and, and, and you have people with new ideas, you know, that are specific to the online environment um, that you see you know, being launched. And I think a lot of that is going to be crushed by these kinds of things. Well, um, you know, I have people, con- yeah. people contact me now, you know, and they want to, they want to market to the worldwide web and, you know, to comply with the GDPR, even if you're just brand new, you know, under us law, you need basically a privacy policy and that's it yep. under GDPR. You know, you're going to spend 2,500 bucks, five grand, just getting into compliance. Um, you know, and for a lot of the smaller, you know, people that really literally start from scratch, you know, that that's a serious burden. Um, so, you know, I, I see a trend going in that direction where, you know, government is right and business is wrong and, you know, business is evil. And <laughs> Well, know, we've got that things. kind of trend going on right now, too. Like you mentioned Uber for one, and I think Uber is a good, a good thing to talk about. And I also think, you know, um, they, they are, and like no other company until we had this thing called the Internet and apps. I mean, they're a, essentially a car company that doesn't own any cars. Right. Um, and just like, uh, oh, the house rental one slipping my mind, but they're a, a company that, uh, you know, has rentals that, oh, uh, yeah, Air, Airbnb. Airbnb has rentals, but doesn't own any rentals. 
And right. so that's the type of internet, you know, internet business that we're trying to regulate. I think, I mean, is some of that policy coming from those type of companies or no? Um, yeah, I think, I think that that's definitely true. The distinction that you see in, in the rest of the world between, you know, in comparison to the U S in the U S when they're passing those regulations, there's sort of an understanding that unless you are doing something heinous, you know, out and out right, you know, fraud or something of that sort, prosecutions of small businesses are, are less risky. Yeah. Let's just put it that way, that they're unlikely to occur in the EU. With the GDPR, you can go onto the ICO site. The ICO is the enforcement agency in the UK. They're fining everybody, um, people for <laughs> disclosing, you know, uh, tiny companies. They're fining police departments. It just doesn't um, seem you know, like it not, makes business sense to do that as a as a country. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. And the irony of it, and the hypocrisy of it, is that I don't know if you've ever been to London, but London is one of the most monitored cities in the world. Yeah. There's a camera every three feet, yeah. and they are watching and recording everything you do, and that gets us into whole different discussions. But <laughs> you know, the idea that they're doing this to ensure the privacy of EU citizens is 100% a crock. It, it just is, and you know, so it's frustrating for me to see a lot of the problems that I had with real-world business regulations transferring over to the internet. I mean, you, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, maybe you watch Zuckerberg. You know, in front of Congress, and personally, I think Zuckerberg's kind of a, an ass when he gets into those scenarios. But he had to explain to some of those guys what Facebook did. Well, the wall. Yeah, there was something they were talking about the wall or something. That oh, was hilarious. But he, right. you know, yeah, the way he acted was, I think, on purpose too. But oh man, some of those questions, like my four-year-old, probably could have answered some of them better. And those are the people that are writing the I know, laws. I, I mean, know. I know. You know, and they they can't set up their own internet, and that's, yeah, that's what's right. frustrating. This was frustrating with a lot of this stuff in the EU. So, you know, I'm harking on the GDPR. Yeah, boy. There are plenty of other other bad regulations. It's just the GDPR is happening right now. When, when they talk about consent, so they have articles. There are 99 articles that make up the GDPR. It's a couple hundred pages. Then there are 173 recitals. And what the recitals do, they're not binding law, but it's the drafting agency trying to explain what they meant in the articles. And so you have to have a legal basis to collect information from somebody. Um, and uh, of the six legal bases, one of them is consent. The recital that discusses consent is talking primarily about having somebody sign a form, like a physical form. They're not even thinking about you know the internet and how this this pulls through. Um, I mean, obviously they are, but right. but you know they're they're talking about you know some antiquated thing, and they make no distinction between Google and somebody who you know, is running a tomato blog. Um, you know, they have an article 30. They say, well, if it's under 250 people, um, you know, 250 employees, then you don't have to, uh, keep such extensive records. But the problem with that from a legal perspective is if, if they come and audit and start asking questions, you have to have records to defend it. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Otherwise you just stand there going, uh, you know, yes, we did. Oh, uh, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you defend that? And so it's ludicrous. Um, you know, that you get to that kind of extent. And it, this isn't just a GDPR, GDPR problem. The FTC does things like this. Um, you know, there are other groups that do it. But compared to 2000, when you saw, you know, Facebooks and Googles of the world, and you, and at that time you had federal laws passed that were beneficial to the Internet. They were designed to help the Internet grow, the DMCA. Um, you know, it gives websites immunity from copyright infringement claims based on content uploaded by users. If that law was not passed as much as people, you know, 
beat on it, um, we would not have Facebook today. Or YouTube. We would not have Twitter. Yeah, we would not have YouTube. We would not have any of these things. Another law that was passed most people don't know about is called the Communications Decency Act. Uh, it, was, it was enacted in 1998, and it was a law that was designed, as the name suggests, kind of to try to regulate porn online. However, it's, it's always a favorite of politicians because it sounds good when they go for re-election, and they always get it wrong and violate you know, the First Amendment. And in this case, it didn't even get out the door. Supreme Court struck it down before it even, you know, even was close to enforcement. Uh, but they left provisions in that what politicians had done was they had added provisions that were not related to the adult industry to try to help get the law through. You know, so they could say, well, uh, it's just, you know, it's not just the adult industry. Um, and the Supreme Court, of course, rolled their eyes and did that. But they left in place those provisions. And one of them is called Section 230. And what Section 230 says is that a website cannot be held liable for defamation based on comments made by a user. That says it much more technically, but that's the idea. That single statement is why sites like Yelp exist. Oh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That, yeah, because otherwise right, they wouldn't. That, otherwise you couldn't go on. I couldn't go on and review, and then Yelp would be liable because it's their website. Right. There uh, would be no forms. I gotcha. There would be no, no forms, no Twitter, no, no anywhere where there's an exchange of information. I could do without YouTube comments. Well, a lot of us could do without you know, comments <laughs> anywhere, you know, because they're nasty. And you see sites turning comments off. Yeah, And that's true. kind of the new trend. Yeah, and yeah. I, have, I have a very large client who has a massive website with massive comments who is seriously considering doing it. Oh, yeah. Because half the, comments, half the comments are spam. The other half are, you know, things people would not say if their real name was there, <laughs> uh, you know. And an interesting experiment is in China, they have enacted a law that says you can no longer have anonymity online. Oh, that's not, that's and, interesting. And their comment section look a lot different than our comment sections. <laughs> Boy, that would be nice. I think that would solve it. Well, you know, and there are a lot of people that are, are reconsidering that, you know. But so Section 230, you know, this was a law that was passed. And even though it maybe had, you know, an interesting origin, these were laws that were passed to help build the Internet. And they did. And now what you were seeing, so, for instance, just this couple of months ago, you know, Congress passed a law that starts eating away at Section 230. Uh, and in the legal field, what you know, if you want to attack a law that that is heavily supported by the industry, now most people don't know what Section 230 is, but Google, Facebook, you know, all these kinds of companies, anybody that has formed, they know what it is, because uh, it's, it's the, how they stay alive. Um, and so, how do you attack something like that? How do you attack Yelp? Um, and what you look for is a bad facts case. Um, where you can hold it up and wave it around, you know, baby seals being clubbed, whatever it is. And in this case, you know, they found Backpage, a site called Backpage, kind of like a Craigslist. And uh, they uh, issued, um, they accused Backpage of helping with sex, uh, sex trafficking in their personal section, the escort section, if you yep. will. Yep. And this whole thing went on and on and on. And um, so they just passed a new sex trafficking law. Sounds great. I think we're all against sex trafficking. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be. However, it starts, it, it creates an exception to Section 230. And the way, what happens in the law is attorneys will now start filing lawsuits against sites. And they will say, well, if we're going to have an exception for sex trafficking, we should also have an exception for, you know, these other things. Hmm. And they're going to try and wedge that exception open. And if they wedge it sufficiently open in Section 230, you know, is eviscerated, the internet's going to look a lot different again um, because, you know, forms, every, you know, comments, whatever, you know, that defamation, that sites can be sued for defamation, that's a whole different world online. Yeah. Um, so when, it, when I say I get a little depressed about where things are headed, you know, that's kind of the reason why. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a little depressed right now. I was doing good until we started, but <laughs> you know, I was fi- I was fine, and now not so much. So, yeah, well, it's interesting. Be <laughs> yeah, Craigslist had to make a couple changes too. I know they took their they had to take their per or they decided to take their personnel section down too because of that same that very same law. Yeah, that was exactly it. The day it passed, they deleted their entire personals. Yep. Because it's the law. The law said that if the site or any of its employees had knowledge of this illegal act, well, you know, how, how do you deal with that as a company? Yeah. And their answer was, you know, to get rid of this. So is that a benefit to people on the web? Is it that they just wiped out their whole personals? Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like a critical blow, but sure. when we're seeing, you know, the answer to new laws being to, you know, stop. Uh, you know, the spread of information, that should be a concern. Hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, take a look at our traffic out there and see what we're doing. But let's get into a little more positive uh, aspects here. And tell me a little bit about what you do when you're not working. Sounds like you're pretty involved and you know just about everything there is on some of these laws or as much as you can and you're passionate about it, which I think is great. What do you do when you're not working? Are you able to separate the two? Are there things that you do to make sure that you're recharged for your clients the next day? Or do you always just work? Uh, I work more than I should. Yeah, I knew that answer um, was coming. Yeah, no, I haven't moved out to the mountains. I live kind of in a remote area, and that helps. I have a dog, and the dog, you know, forces me to get out and go for walks every day, which is always good. So that's cool. definitely beneficial. Uh, you know, right now we happen to be in the NHL hockey playoffs, so I spend most of the evening yelling at my television. <laughs> uh, that's that's good for stress relief. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, I'm not married, but I do date, and that, that certainly helps. So. Uh, you know, I think for me, um, particularly as an attorney, we tend to work a lot, and I certainly, I'm not doing 80 hours a week like I did in the firm, but sure. I probably do 50 or 60, and I've just kind of accepted it. You know, that's just kind of, um, you know, that's the life. And uh, you know, you, in my situation, you either have to decide you really give a crap about your clients and you want to do everything you can to protect them, or you don't. And, uh, and you, you know, do. and and I do. So, right. uh, you know, most of my clients have been with me for a decade or longer. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I wouldn't even remotely claim that. But, um, you know, they seem to be pretty happy. The other thing I try to do is, unlike other attorneys, I, you know, I call back people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Attorneys are infamous. The worst customer service in the world. Oh, I always try awful. to respond. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I always try to respond within 24 hours. And so that helps. But, you know, again, that kind of takes time for me. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think that for me, you know, the thing that counters the life balance issue is, um, you know, I'm not really tearing things down now. A lot of laws, litigation, which is kind of destroying, uh, you know, topics, whatever it is, a business, a marriage, what, what have you. Most of my practice is devoted to, you know, protecting people so they can grow their business. So there's a certain satisfaction in seeing somebody go from nothing to, not only living a comfortable life, but, you know, growing and helping other people and things yeah, of that sort. Absolutely. Um, you know, I have quite a few clients who, you know, go above and beyond to try to help other people. And, you know, that's nice to see, even if they weren't my clients, it would be nice to see, you know, some of the, so much negativity in the world and seeing people doing things like that. It's very nice and cool. rewarding. Hey everybody, this week's episode is also sponsored by Freshwater Apparel. Check out freshwaterapparel.com. That's fresh waterapparel.com and check out their spring collection of t-shirts and soon beanies are going to be on the way we love these guys over at freshwater it's a 
Midwest Clothing Company, and they make all their products in Lansing, Michigan, and the shirts are 100% made in America. So you can't beat that. So if you love freshwater like we do here at Michigan Creative, you should definitely check out their site. Lots more coming, but right now they have t-shirts and tanks for both men and women. Like I said before, beanies are coming, stickers, all that stuff. So check out freshwaterapparel.com and get fresh. Back to the show. All right, man. Uh, give me a quote. What's your favorite quote? Uh, so my favorite quote comes from an author named Terry Pratchett, who's in the UK. He yeah. died uh, a year or two ago. And the quote is, uh, never promise to do the possible. Anyone could do the possible. You should promise to do the impossible because sometimes the impossible is possible. Uh, if you'd find the right way, and at least you could often extend the limits of the possible. And if you failed, well, it was always impossible to start with. Uh, it's from a character called Moist von Lipwig. Um, and he had been uh, charged in the book with reviving the post office of a, a city and uh, uh, after email had come along, and it's a, a humorous business, uh, or a humorous book. Moist von Lipwig was a, a uh, criminal, and so uh, they put him in charge of the post office to see what he could do with it. <laughs> That's and, perfect. Yeah, it's a book, a book worth reading. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely humorous. So. Yeah, tell me a book, too. Would you suggest a business book for us, too? I, uh, yeah, you know, I don't read a lot of business books. Yeah, I, I, know. Know, why. I know. You know, a lot of people do. They make um, will nervous. it fly? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It makes me feel inferior. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's a, I was just going to say that, man. I used to, <laughs> when I started this company, dude, I was, that's the same thing I did. I was reading all these business books by all these guys that are hustle and all this other bullshit. And I was like, Every time I started, it was all this stuff. I'm like, well, shit, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. There's no way. And it just started to make me feel like, what the hell am I doing? I should have never done this. <laughs> oh, who's the uh, who's the guy? He's great. Gary. Oh, Gary V. Yeah. Of, Vaynerchuk. Yeah, Gary v, yeah. yeah. I subscribed to his YouTube channel. That was a mistake. Yeah, I know, because I feel so lazy and inadequate when I watch him. I uh, know. After a week, it's like, God, I'm a slug. I know. You know? Like, I, I feel like I'll watch a show on Netflix or something, and I start to think, like, oh, well, Gary's probably not watching this. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. I think the only book that I've read uh, uh, recently that I liked was Will It Fly uh, yeah. by Pat Flynn. And full yeah. disclosure, Pat's a client. But yeah, I like Pat. Uh, the thing I liked yeah. about Will It Fly, yeah, the thing that I, liked, I liked about the book was that it. Uh, addresses an issue that I don't think really gets addressed online enough was, you know, okay, you have an idea, you know, is it really viable? Sure. And um, I know you do internet services, so you might you might get some humor out of this. 2007, I owned an SEO firm. We worked in the real estate uh, mortgage broker field. Really? Uh, you, you, can, you can imagine what happened in 2008. Sure. Um, <laughs> but while it was still viable, we were building, we would have interns and we would have, have them build um, made for AdSense sites. Uh, and yeah. to train them on SEO. And so um, an intern came to us with a keyword phrase. I think it was candy shop or candy store or something like that. Had a huge amount of searches, almost no competition. And so we were laughing. We're going to make money off this. And so we had him build a site. And I don't know, we spent a couple grand. It was very nice and everything. All kinds of candy you could buy online. No <laughs> sales, no nothing. And then we eventually discovered from one of our other interns who was a bit more hip than the rest of us idiots, that candy store with the name of a 50-cent song. Yeah. It wasn't an actual candy store. That's where all the searches were coming from. Into <laughs> yeah. the candy store. Yeah, I know that song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think a book addressing, you know, that issue about, well, you know, you may think it's a great business idea, but, uh, you know, maybe you should ask these questions first and do a little research. Oh, if we could have videotaped when he came in there with that idea and then flash forward to after you figured it out, that'd been sweet. 
Oh no, we we had serious laughs. I mean, <laughs> the kind of the kind of laughs where you're not making any noise. It's just kind of a wheeze, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was yeah, no, it was the gathering. That'll definitely get control of your ego. I can. Oh, I can tell that's you that. great. That's great. Yes. Give me a business owner or a person, anybody really, that if you could have dinner with them, who would it be? Uh, I'd go with somebody very well known, Elon Musk. Uh, yeah. And the reason for that is because of my concerns about the future of the internet. And I sure. think he's somebody, he has those concerns, but I don't think that he emphasizes them enough. And unlike me, he has the platform to do that. And I would just really like to discuss with him about the idea of, hey, you know, maybe you should be more forceful on these issues. I mean, you talked about AI endlessly. Uh, yeah, and you talked about AI and alternative power a little bit. He uses his voice for that, but yeah. Right. Right. But I think, you know, the splinter net is something that's not mm-hmm. getting the attention. There are serious people that are worried about it. The problem is most of the serious people just don't have the profile to make it apparent to the public, um, you know, that, that that's a concern. And that's mm-hmm. where we're really kind of falling short. So. So if we have an Internet business uh, person listening to this and they are now depressed, just like I am, how do they best <laughs> <laughs> like they just quit and shut down all their companies because of our podcast? But. And, and you, of course, but if they do want to talk to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? <laughs> this like, is yeah, a bad time. They're not going yeah, to yeah. advertise my That's speaker right. service. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, you can always find me at my website at SoCal, S-O-C-A-L, internetlawyer.com. Uh, or you can just look me up by my last name, Chapo, C-H-A-P-O. Yep, comes right um, Unfortunately, there's a uh, Mexican drug lord who goes by the nickname El Chapo. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, obviously, I'm yeah, obviously I'm not him. So, uh, But you can find me through those. I'm also on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, and I'll be happy to chat with anybody who has any questions. Oh. Um, the one thing I will say about all of this is, you know, although it does come off as a bit depressing. Sure. Um, you know, in some way, these are first world problems. Yeah, you're right. Um, even, if, even if the Internet becomes as splintered as, you know, worst case scenario would suggest in your business that is you know targeting the u.s the u.s is never going to become that way i just i mean maybe in 50 years or something but i just can't see that happening and it's the biggest consumer market in the world so even if you lost all international traffic it shouldn't hurt your business too much um you know unless it's something unique to the to what you're doing so i wouldn't get too worried about it um, but it would definitely make sure you sit down with somebody local who you know understands the law and can kind of you know keep you in tune as to what's coming. Because if you can plan ahead for it, you know there may well be opportunities. Yeah, cool. All right, man. Last question: What do you think? And I have an idea about this, but what do you think or what do you hope your legacy is going to be? Um. Well, as a, <laughs> as a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Probably just that I help clients. Sure. Help clients grow, kept them out of trouble. And then I think on the personal side that, you know, for friends and family, you know, when bad times hit, I can be counted on. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty much as simple as that. I don't have any grand grand theories, uh, you know, or grand hopes. Um, but I think just those two simple things. Can we put Candy Shop as one of those? Candy Store, sorry. Uh, I do hope to hand, yes, to own the world's most successful candy store website good. one day. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate your you know, time gonna, today. You know, you know, I'm going to get a letter from 50 Cent's lawyers now. I know. I know. I'm going to call him. I'm talking to him later today. So it's 50 Cent, too, by the way. 50 Cent. Um, oh, there you go. There you go. My failure I, as a hipster. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate your time. Today. It was very enlightening, very interesting, too. And it's just those things that we don't think about. I think the bottom line, though, is, and I know you'll agree, is just simply talk to somebody that you know, trust, 
um, that can get you through this. And if you're in the United States, which most of our listening audience is, you're probably going to be okay, but it never hurts to have a lawyer on your side. Sure. And I think, you know, again, that initial consultation is usually free. So yeah. It doesn't cost you anything. Cool. And, you know, you want to know about problems before they happen. Uh, that's, that's the way to do it. So yeah, cool. I would definitely recommend that. Well, Richard, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot for being on our show today. Sure. Thank you for having me on. Richard Chapo is a business lawyer in San Diego, and he's at SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Very knowledgeable about all the internet things you need to worry about as a lawyer and a lot of the privacy issues, too. So I would definitely give, give him a call, and you can just search his name, like you said. They'll all be in the show notes. Again, thank you very much for listening, and thank Richard for being on the show. And again, you guys remember I'm Brian with Michigan Creative and the Business Machine. A great leader makes everyone around him or her better than they are. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next one.